Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about my favorite baby food brand. So I actually don't buy a lot of baby food and I don't use it a lot, but I do like to have some baby food, some pouches on hand just for those moments where I feel like I need something convenient or I need to just throw something in my diaper bag and go. So my favorite baby food brand and really the only one we use now is Serenity Kids. The reason that I love Serenity Kids so much is because they focus on nutrient-dense foods such as pasture-raised and grass-fed meat and organic vegetables. So I know that the quality is amazing and I feel safe and confident feeding it to my baby. You can go to myserenitykids.com and use the code TaylorKulik15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. If you appreciate this podcast, if you have found any of the episodes valuable for you, I would so appreciate if you would leave me a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews actually help people see more... Hi friends, welcome. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Um, I do have a quick announcement to make before we get started and before I introduce today's guest. This will be the last podcast episode of season three. Um, And I am going to be taking a little bit of a break, not sure how long, um, because I am in the process of kind of restructuring the way that I do this podcast. Um, This past year and this season has been four months on, no wait, sorry. Yeah. Four months on, two months off, four months on, two months off. And I'm putting out a podcast every week. And that has just become a little um, unsustainable for me with such limited childcare. And so I think I'm going to switch to five months on and then a one month break and then five months on and a one month break. But instead of releasing an episode every single week on Monday, I'm going to release an episode every other week. Um, So I'm still kind of figuring out if that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, But I think that's what I'm leaning towards because I think that'll just be an easier schedule for me to manage. It'll be a little bit less for me while still giving you consistent content. And so if I do that, that means I'll be back in a few months. I don't remember the month exactly, but anyways. Okay. So I will be announcing that on my Instagram um, and my email list. So, and if you're subscribed, you'll get notifications when the podcast comes out, but this will be the last episode of season three and I will miss you guys. Um, So let's talk about who is on the podcast today. Um, Alyssa, Dr. Alyssa. Dr. Alyssa is a holistic pharmacist and the creator of the Holistic Baby-Led Weaning online course. Her mission is to help parents protect and defend their child's health to ultimately prevent or reduce the risk for disease. 
She is passionate about empowering parents to take control of their child's health and steward their bodies to help them grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self. I loved talking to Dr. Alyssa, and I think y'all are really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation. Dr. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so curious about your story and how you got started because you're a pharmacist by trade, right? So I'm so curious about how you got into more baby led weaning and how Thriving Foundations came to be. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Absolutely. And you can call me Alyssa, by okay. the way. Um, a lot less formal. So first, I just want to say thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And I just appreciate this opportunity to connect with your community and to chat. So and I also want to say thank you for just the work that you are doing, serving parents in the way that you do. I really respect what you're doing. And I commend you for having the courage to really talk about these things that can be sensitive and triggering, but they really are impactful. I know that your work has helped our family. And so for that, we, we are all grateful. Oh, <laughs> my, son, my husband, my so baby. So, Thank you. yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I like to say that I am a free thinking pharmacist who <laughs> embraces the natural and holistic lifestyle, but I haven't always been that way. Um, it really wasn't until my own diagnosis of Hashimoto's that I that my eyes were open to the fact that the allopathic way isn't necessarily the only way. And this is really what led to a paradigm shift in how I viewed health. Um, I still remember the doctor telling me that there's nothing that I could do, but wait until my body attacked my thyroid. And then I would just take thyroid hormone the rest of my life. And that just didn't sit well with me. In a way, I felt let down by the very system that I was training in, <laughs> studying in and working in. And I honestly, I, I remember asking but why is my body attacking itself? And she couldn't tell me this, um, but I, I felt like there had to be another way. I guess I just had faith that our bodies could heal. And I really give thanks to God for blessing me with that discernment to really take control of my own health and to really look outside kind of the box that I had been immersing myself in to learn learn new ways of stewarding my body and nourishing myself in a sense. So that experience ultimately is uh, what has allowed me as a pharmacist to empathize with parents, uh, parents who don't want their children on medication every single day for the rest of their life, but they haven't been given another option. And so now I'm kind of in this unique middle ground where I understand and appreciate the power of modern medicine, but I also understand kind of where our healthcare system can fall short and the role that food plays in both the prevention and the development of disease. Um, and so I also recognize the pressing need for parents to advocate and fight for their child's health. We have the sickest generation of children with almost one in two children, depending on who you talk to, dealing with chronic health issues. And while there are many factors contributing to that, our food system is absolutely, absolutely one of them. We are up against a food system that is wreaking havoc on our health and really setting our children up for a life of chronic illness. And preventable diseases that we used to only see in adults are now becoming chronic in our children, but they're absolutely not normal. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't want that for my child and I don't want that for any other child. I still remember, uh, I still remember the moment I became a mom. My son was minutes after he took his first breath and it really just hit me. God blessed me with this beautiful child and it's my duty to steward his body. No one is going to do that for my child. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility to protect and defend his health. Having, you know, worked in the environment I am and just seeing that modern medicine is not the only way. Um, I just felt that sense of responsibility. And so for those who feel that same sense of responsibility, it's just knowing that we as moms have the power to protect our child's health. We have the power to reduce the risk for disease. And while it does require a commitment to steward our child's body in this way, it, it really is our opportunity during these early years to set them up for solid or thriving foundations. Um, because ultimately it's so much easier to protect and defend their health than it is to fight to get it back once lost. And no one's going to fight for our child like we will. And investing that time early on is really going to help them grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self. So ultimately that's what led to Thriving Foundations. Um, And just wanting to be here to help other moms uh, steward their child's body in that way. That's amazing. And you know, when you were talking about how you are the only one who will steward your child's body, who will protect their health, nobody else is going to do it. And I'm thinking even in in this world, it almost seems like not only will nobody else protect our children's health or make sure that their health is optimized, but really it actually feels sometimes like we are fighting an uphill battle because there are so many obstacles and barriers and things being thrown our way that can potentially be a negative impact to our child's health. So it's not even like neutral, like we're just here trying to make it better. Like we're fighting so much stuff that can harm our children. Absolutely. And that, that is something where this, you know, this message I have to almost have to be careful. Same with your message, right? You have to be, you have to empathize and be sensitive to the fact that this information can be triggering, but I was falling asleep last night, realizing it's not I've, I've been told that you're vilifying food. Food is not the villain. It's our food system. You know what I mean? It's, it's the fact that we have an industry that is set up to literally make food more addicting. We have this, in, we have, we have research that is being done to figure out how they can hijack our brain chemistry to make food more addicting. How can we expect our child to have willpower? How can we have willpower when we're eating food like that? And it's just understanding it's not the food. We, we want our child to develop healthy relationships with food. We want them to, and it's about balance. Yes, when I let my child eat fast food, I understand that it's not you know necessarily the best for him, but I also am more concerned about the message I'm sending if I'm like, I can eat this, but you can't. So it's not having that like purest attitude per se, but it's, it's having an awareness of what we are up against and understanding that it's our food system. It's the, the, the food that when we go to the grocery store and moms want to do the best for their child and they see, you know, all the marketing labels, organic, uh, heart healthy and 
really it's not <laughs> it's filled yeah, like with what do those labels chemicals. even really mean like yeah, exactly and, and I would say this is a little bit off tangent but you you yeah. kind of brought it up so I really dislike the messaging that I see a lot like on popular Instagram accounts and things about like food neutrality and don't vilify mm -hmm. food because I get it mm -hmm. to an extent like you said we want to help our children foster healthy relationships with food but First of all, some of the things that are out there that are out there on the market for, for not just for our children, but for all of us, it's not real food, first of all. So that's exactly. something that we need to be mindful of. But second of all, it's, it's like very, it's very disempowering, similar with the sleep training conversation. If every parenting decision is neutral and nothing impacts our child, that's a lie. That's not, yep. that's just not rooted in reality. Some yep. foods are better for our bodies and some foods don't support our bodies or could make us feel bad or could make us sick or could have some sort of negative outcome Absolutely. To, to not talk about that with our children and help them to understand these realities and make good empowering choices. That's just so disempowering to me. And it's not realistic. Like yeah. I just really don't like that messaging at all. Just wanted to throw that out there. No, that, and that's so true. I always say we can't, we can't, fight a battle. We can't protect our child's health if we don't know what we're up against. And so, like right. you said, it can be hard hearing this information, I think can be, some people call it shaming, but as you and I know, shame comes from within. So I can learn this information and know that, um, my child eating a certain food is probably not the best for his body, but I understand that if we build a solid foundation for their health, that those foods are not going to necessarily make or break their health. So when you mm -hmm. educate yourself and you understand you're, you're able to make more informed and balanced decisions. And I agree with you, get that messaging that's out there. That is not, that is not putting the truth out there. You know what I mean? It's even if the mm -hmm. truth is hard to hear sometimes, yeah, I don't want to hear that the, you know, I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to name any specific foods just because <laughs> that's when people feel triggered. Yeah. But I, if I'm feeding my child a certain food every single morning for breakfast, and then I see an Instagram post that's like, oh, here are all the ingredients. That's probably going to be a little bit triggering because it's like, I feed my kid this every single day. Um, but that information is the information that we need to know if we mm -hmm. want to fight for our children's health. Yes. And I actually had that exact experience like a few days ago, I saw a post. So we love Chick-fil-A. We probably have Chick-fil-A like at least two times a month. Um, we don't have it all the time. Like we're not a family that eats out all the time, but we do yeah. have, we do like, you know, maybe once every two weeks or sometimes once a week. And we love Chick-fil-A. I know it's not the healthiest quote unquote healthiest, but you know what? We eat really well at home most of the time. And so, like yeah. you said, I know that my children are generally very healthy and I've set them up for success so we can handle eating out, yeah. eating less than ideal food sometimes. But I did see an Instagram post the other day that was like talking about all of the ingredients of Chick-fil-A. It wasn't what we get from Chick-fil-A, but still yeah. what we get isn't very much, you know, very much better. Um, and I did, I feel a little bit triggered. Yeah, I did feel a little bit yeah. triggered, but then I thought, you know what? I know that I'm not going to Chick-fil-A to, I know that it's not like necessarily supporting my child's health, but I know it's okay. Because like yeah. you said, it's not about being a food, a food purist. It's okay. I have a Dr. Yeah. Pepper when I go to Chick-fil-A, like I am not here, like <gasps> wanting to vilify parents who feed their kids certain things. Like we all 
we all have our moments where we are not eating 100% perfectly. And the Mm -hmm. stress, this always goes back for me to like non-toxic, right? Quote unquote, non-toxic living. Um, Mm -hmm. The stress of feeling like you have to be perfect is just as toxic as any of the other things you're putting in or on your body. And so there has to be balance there of letting, giving yourself a little bit of flexibility. Anyways, that's my tangent. Absolutely. I don't, I just want to say one purists here. So yeah, I just want to say one thing to help because I have to tell myself this too. If we think about our child's early life, early nourishment, like building their brick house, right? Think about the three little pigs. If the, the, the pig that built his house out of bricks was able to withstand insult, right? Whereas sticks and what is it? Sticks and twigs or straw, whatever. So I like to think about it like our goal is to build a brick house for our child so that when they have Chick-fil-A or when they have, they go to that birthday party, mm-hmm. we don't have to be panicking, thinking their entire house is going to fall over or that relates to when they get sick, right? Children generally, if we build a stronger foundation for them, they're able to handle sickness. They get over it faster, that sort of thing. And so just that is the goal. And knowing that, you know, we're going to have these storms that come through, we're going to have the Chick-fil-A and the, the pizza at the birthday party. And we don't need to be overly, you know, neurotic or overly obsessed about every single bite they're eating, because obviously that can lead to problems. Mm -hmm. down, down the road for them and how they view food as well. Yeah, for sure. And I've been there too with my, with my, my first child, when she was like just starting to eat, I was so controlling about what she ate. I would not let her eat anything that I deemed unhealthy when we went out or went to a friend's house or went to church. Um, and I've so loosened up on that now Mm -hmm. because it gets really, it gets really hard to be that strict unless you have to be that strict, um, as they get older, of course, and more opinionated. Um, and her health is just as good as it was then. So even with eating, you know, red food diet every once in a while, like at a party, I really hate red food diet, but anyways, okay. No, yep. no more tangents. <laughs> okay. So your course, you have a course, your course mm-hmm. is about holistic baby led weaning, right? Correct. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what baby led weaning is and specifically what is holistic baby led weaning? Yeah. So I like to explain it just by giving an example. Um, so baby led weaning versus traditional feeding, I guess you could say. So traditional feeding would look like it's going to be what our grandparents or parents are probably more used to where you have your little baby food jar and your spoon and you just shuttle the food in baby's mouth. Um, maybe they're getting to the end of the jar and you're like, can you take one more bite? Um, whereas baby lead weaning is really, it's allowing our child to lead the way. Um, it's going to look like our child sitting independently and literally feeding themselves food. Um, that is allowing that is allowing our child to have the independence to decide what and when and how much they want to eat. Um, And that's really, obviously that's important, not only for just building that independence, but our children crave that, especially when they become toddlers. But it's also giving them the opportunity to practice the oral motor skills. If you think about drinking milk or eating purees, it generally is uh, it involves one motor pattern of just sucking food to the back of the mouth or milk and swallowing. And so with baby lead weaning, they're actually eating 
finger foods. It doesn't mean that you can't ever have periods because obviously there's a, a time and a place for them, but the, the goal is they are practicing chewing. Um, and those are really important skills. If baby is on pure, uh, prolonged purees and then they go to finger foods, what can happen is they can actually try and do that same oral motor pattern and suck the finger food to the back of their mouth. And that can actually increase risk for choking. Um, also with baby led weaning, it's giving them the opportunity to touch and explore the food. And I think that this, we can underestimate the, the actual impact that this has on sensory development. But if a child is never given the opportunity to touch food, and then, you know, months down the road, they go, it can just set them off if that makes sense. So being, um, being, a, being, giving our child the opportunity to have food all over themselves is messy and is like, uh, as, as, um, I don't know, as overwhelming as it can be watching that it really is important for them to practice that, uh, practice exploring those senses, if you will. Um, but the biggest benefit of baby led weaning is our child is able to listen to their internal hunger cues and internal fullness cues. So we trust that they eat until they're full and then they stop. Whereas with spoon feeding, we are kind of the ones in control, if that makes sense. So that's the difference between baby led weaning and spoon feeding. Um, holistic baby led weaning is kind of a term that I coined because it's involving a much more holistic and intentional approach to really introducing foods in a way that is honoring the fact that our, our, our infants digestive, digestive and immune systems are still developing. They are more susceptible to the toxic burden placed on their body. Their rapidly growing bodies require specific nutrients for growth and development and for supporting their metabolism and also honoring the fact that their taste preferences and eating habits and relationships with food are really being established during the early years of their life. So it's this much more holistic approach uh, and um, a more mindful approach to introducing solids. Again, not a purist approach, but just educating ourselves to understand how first foods are really impacting our child's health. And so that's, that's really what kind of the, the goal of my course is it's providing a step-by-step -step, um, guide to not only teaching parents how to do baby led weaning, like the logistics of, you know, how to do it safely, if you will, but it's also walking them through how to introduce solids in a way that is really protecting and defending their child's health. Um, ultimately for the goal of reducing the risk for health issues. Yeah. I love that. I want to, before I ask you my next question, I just want to jump in and you had commented on how baby led weaning offers children, this really great sensory rich experience. And as an OT, yeah. I just want to, uh, back that up. That's super important, but I also always tell parents when we're talking about starting solids, that starting solids is primarily a sensory experience first, yeah. because if you think about it, just really put yourself in your infant's shoes. They or high chair, they have never <laughs> been exposed to these foods before. Yes. So yep. they are first looking at the food. That's, that's experience. Number one exposure. Number one, it might just be them looking at the food. They don't have to touch it. 
Um, they're, then they're touching the food. They're maybe, you know, they're playing around with it. They're maybe bringing it to their mouth. They're smelling it. So all of these really rich sensory experiences are all part of the exposure process because I know a lot of parents get really disheartened when they first start their baby on solids and their baby like won't put anything in their mouth, but that's actually mm-hmm. really normal. Like when you have mm-hmm. a food, a specific food, and you're offering it to your child, it could take 15, 20 exposures for them to ever bring it to their mouth. But think about all of the things that they're doing before it comes to their mouth. Like I just talked about, they're looking at it. They are smelling it. They are touching it. They're using all of their senses to figure out what the heck this thing is on their high chair in front of them. Um, So yeah, just wanted to totally like back you up on that super important sensory experience. And they're not quite as much getting that with traditional weaning, which I'm not again, like fully against traditional weaning, but I do think it's very helpful to at least do a mixed approach. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of echo that with when they are, um, when they're being exposed to these whole foods, that's also teaching them about these foods and, Mm -hmm. you know, giving them the opportunity. And it's really interesting. I mean, we don't have to go down the pathway of like, what's safe and what's not. But I think the, there's a, it's, there's a big misconception that baby led weaning is not safe and that spoon feeding is actually safer. And it's actually, it's not the opposite, but they're like, I kind of alluded to before, um, having baby on pro, you know, prolonged puree feeding is, it can miss this beautiful window of opportunity where they have reflexes that protect their they're, they have reflexes that protect them against choking, but then they also have reflexes that help them with chewing. If you put a finger in a baby's mouth, they'll kind of bite down and do a lateral movement. That is a reflex that is helping them learn how to chew. And that is starting to fade by the nine month mark. So just the importance of giving our little one the experiences. But yeah, I, I have two now and my second child is eight months. And it's, I made, I created the course after going through baby led weaning with my first, but it's been awesome going through the experience again, because I have those same feelings. I'm like, why are you not eating the banana? (laughs) But I, I have to step back and remember just that like, Oh, he's never done this before. He doesn't know. Like we, we expect them to know what food is and to know that they need to eat it. Now that's why it's important for us to do it in front of them to model. But yeah, it's all, I mean, we got to let them do it at their own pace because if we stress out, they sense that and it can actually turn them off to feeling like, I don't want to sit in the high chair. I don't want to do this mealtime thing. This is a stressful, this is a stressful thing. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. You probably know about this too, but just one more thing that I just wanted to chime in. I talk about, um, you know, like tongue ties and, and, um, mouth breathing and jaw, you know, jaw development and all of that on here. Mm -hmm. And one other really interesting thing that is kind of being discovered and a lot of um, experts in this field are talking about is like, why do so many people, you know, kids, adults, why do so many of us have, we're having, we have small jaws, we have small airways, we have the tongue ties, we have all of this. And a lot of them are, we're, we're learning that it's because a lot of it is because we are now, we have kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We've shifted from eating, 
you know, our ancestors ate like really tough food and they, Mm -hmm. you know, they just chewed a lot. And Mm -hmm. now we eat really soft food all the time and just starting with our babies. And so that's one really big thing too, is just jaw development and the impact of chewing tough, firm, crunchy foods is so, so important. And a lot of parents have no idea about that. I didn't know about that with my first child. Absolutely. That and nutrients. Yep. We yeah. could go down that rabbit hole, but I won't start. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe well a little bit. I don't know. So but with my next question, so um, you've talked about how your mission is to help parents protect and defend their child's health. Um, can you describe more about how you think holistic baby led weaning aligns with this mission? And also like, what do you mean exactly? What are we protecting them from? Can you expand yeah. on that just a little? Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of talked about that with the food system, I think just understanding that, um, and I'll just come out and say it, we are up against a food system that is really putting profits over our health. Um, Mm -hmm. A food system that is, has resulted in 74% of U.S. adults being overweight or having obesity and about 40% of children or adolescents being overweight or having obesity. Like that is alarming. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are other things at play here, but our food is the number one thing that we consume every single day that is, you know, contributing to that. And, and the other part of that is our, this is controversial, but our dietary guidelines and food policy that is influenced by industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And this it's is not controversial on this podcast. We've actually, okay, we, I've had, um, do you know, Lily Nichols? Yes. She yeah, was yeah, on yeah. season one talking all about awesome. that. So. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the, in the problem, why is that a problem? Because this is food policy affects what our children learn in school. Mm-hmm. Um, food policy affects what our children are being fed in school. Food policy affects, and, and th- that can be frustrating having a young child who's in daycare because daycares have, if a daycare is reimbursed by the government, they have requirements for what they can feed. And I basically put my foot down and was like, nope, I'm sending my own food. (laughs) This is what we're eating. Um, But food policy affects what we are fed when we're in the hospital. It affects our, what our doctor tells us to eat. It affects how, when we go to the doctor or pediatrician and they say, you know, Um, all right, your child is too, we want you to limit animal products and whatever, we won't go into specifics, but the things that we are being told about how to nourish our child are really impacted by kind of food policy and dietary guidelines. And so understanding that those might not be the best uh, is really important if we want to obviously protect our child's health. The other thing is just, we talked about this, we are, our food is just filled and inundated with, with artificial colors and flavors and sweeteners and seed oils and a whole jumble of other questionable chemicals that are hidden in the food label. It's like, you know, you look at peanut butter and it should just be peanuts and maybe some salt and it's filled with hydrogenated vegetable oils and maybe even some artificial color because it has to look pretty. It's just like, why? Why are, why is our food filled with these? Well, because it makes it taste better. It makes it last longer. So, I mean, I guess you could argue that that's, you know, better for, 
I don't know. <laughs> Ultimately, it gives them more profits. So it's just it's cheaper, right? Does, it's isn't cheaper. It cheaper? Yep. They're like yeah. fillers. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, and yeah. Especially with the oils. Cheaper for there. them to produce. Exactly. Yep. And then, I mean, and that's hard because this is where it can be controversial because people are like, well, it makes the food more accessible to people. And it's like, no, we have like our farmer is the food is not that it is absolutely cheaper than organic food at the grocery store because it's coming directly from the farmer. Right. So it's just understanding that's kind of the ultimate goal is to understand what we're up against. And so when we understand that, then we can make intentional and mindful decisions about nourishing our child. And that's kind of what the, you know, what, what my mission is. My mission is, it's not about me. It's about other parents knowing that they have the power. They have the power to do this. They just, we just need to first be aware and to educate ourselves so that we can make those decisions for our child. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said about the doctors. Like, so food policy impacts what doctors are telling us. And what I think is so fascinating is that there Mm -hmm. are so many doctors who will deny, deny, deny that what we eat impacts our health or our disease process. And what, like, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the end of it, this is where it's like, I've been in it. I have been in, I know what are, what are, our, uh, you know, pharmacy schools, uh, medical schools, nursing schools, we don't learn this information. We have a nutrition class that generally is focusing on, you know, this is what vitamin D does. This is what it's the basics, but even the problem there is kind of our modern nutrition research is not taking into consideration the fact that they're synthetic and there's natural nutrients. They're found in balance. They work together. So the answer is not, I mean, we tell everyone to take vitamin D, right? Take vitamin D, but if we don't have enough magnesium, we're not activating that vitamin D. And then if we're taking vitamin D, it potentially is causing calcium and phosphate levels in our blood to, and it can lead to these downstream effects. So we are operating out of this kind of just like whatever the guidelines tell us, I'm going to tell my patients, which I mean, there's a place for guidelines. They're important, right? Standard of care. But the problem is we are not learning this information in school. Um, and I think that I w- at, when I was going to pharmacy school, we, I was able to take a few classes through the, it's called Center for Spirituality and Healing. And one of the classes I took was called Food Matters. And it was taught by a physician and a chef absolutely amazing. And we talked about the, the role that food is playing in our health and how it does affect our health. Uh, so I think, I'll, you know, I think at the end of the day, when we have a provider who's telling us that it doesn't matter, it, you know, I mean, people will, people will have a, you know, devastating diagnosis for their child or themselves. And the doctor will say, it doesn't matter what they eat. And it's like, no, it actually does. Like the, the very food that we are putting in our body is medicine. It's affecting the building blocks in our body. It's affecting how our, our metabolism is working. It's affecting our, our brain. I mean, the, the, we could talk all day about leaky gut and how that can impact our mood and our brain and lead to autoimmune conditions. And it's just, I think it's a lack of education. And I think that that's something that is not all providers are this way, but we really have to get out of this idea that the allopathic way is the best way and yeah. understand that food 
has been medicine <laughs> forever. It's nature's medicine. Well, and I think even so, if you're just even a little bit in tune with your body, you can tell when you eat something that is positively impacting the way you feel versus when you eat something that negatively impacts the way you feel. And that's on maybe a smaller scale because it's not like a disease or an illness, but like if I, you know, eat too much gluten or something, like I am really lethargic. I might get a headache. I have very little energy. Whereas when I eat my beef liver supplements in the morning and then have a really balanced, like protein filled, protein and fat filled breakfast, I feel great. And I feel energized and I'm not even hungry for like five hours. So like, there's just a clear difference there. And so if you can, if you're in tune with your body and, and I think some of the problem is, is that we've been conditioned to not be in tune with our bodies, especially related to food, because what is the messaging we're getting all the time? It is food. Doesn't matter. Food doesn't really impact all that matters is calories, you know, calories in versus calories out. And so of course, when we're given that message from a young age, why would we pay attention to how our body feels eating certain foods. Absolutely. But then when we begin to focus on it, we, we can see a clear difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also wanted to ask, um, cause you're saying, you know, food is medicine. I've heard before, and you're probably the perfect person to ask this since you're a pharmacist. I've heard before that a lot of pharmaceuticals are derived, like kind of derived from like herbs and food and things like that, like natural things in the, in the environment, in the earth, whatever. Is that true? Is there truth to that at all? Um, I mean, certain pharmaceuticals. So I I think this is funny because people will say like herbs aren't herbs, you know, herbs aren't medicine, but I mean, look at opioids, for example, it comes from the, the poppy flower, I believe. So yes, I mean, they, we, there are certain medications that we have extracted, you know, from nature. Um, but a lot of them are synthetic and that, I mean, that is something that I think is like, it explains the power, the the difference in pharmaceuticals and uh, food as medicine. When we take a pharmaceutical, let's just talk about blood pressure, for example. When we take a pharmaceutical, it is generally acting on one, it has one mechanism of action, not always, um, but one therapeutic mechanism, I guess you could say. So say we have a, take a medicine and it works by relaxing the blood vessels to open the blood vessel, thereby lowering the blood pressure. Well, that is the therapeutic mechanism of action, but it can also affect so many other things in our body. And that's where we see side effects. Um, that's where we see uh, the, the downsides to pharmaceuticals. Whereas with medicine, they are supporting so many natural processes in our body. They're working on enzymes, for example, um, they are having, they're supporting our body at the cellular cellular level. So they are having a much more holistic, supportive approach. Um, whereas the pharmaceutical, yes, it can have a positive mechanism of action. Uh, but generally, once you stop taking it, then it's going to make the symptoms come back, right? It's not mm-hmm. healing the body. Whereas right. food it's not can like actually- the root cause. The root cause. Yeah. Food can actually- heal the body. Yeah. And, you know, I just think it's so interesting because man, when I think about the marketing teams, marketing teams, like pharmaceutical companies spend, I mean, probably millions and millions, if not billions of dollars a year on marketing and like the marketing strategy of calling like anything more uh, quote unquote natural, you know, 
food related, healthy, healthy living, non-toxic mm-hmm. stuff, herbs, um, things like that. They call it alternative medicine. Um, yeah. and yep. then implying that pharmaceuticals and, you know, allopathic medicine, like you're saying is just yeah. the opposite of alternative, which is like this, yeah. I don't know, standard, like what's yeah. right, what's normal when in reality, this quote unquote alternative medicine has been around for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, whereas really the pharmaceutical and allopathic model of medicine is fairly new when you look look at like the whole historical, um, you know, history of medicine and treating illness and all of this. So the, the marketing is really phenomenal. I'm, don't quote me on this, but I feel like I once heard a stat or a number that said the pharmaceutical industry has like two to one to the oil industry. So the amount of money wow. is, I mean, so if we don't think that they're impacting our life, <laughs> we got to wake up because they yeah. are, I mean, they are, oh, yeah. they, you know, For follow sure. the money. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, disclaimer, always have to put, you know, disclaimers, we're not like bashing people that use pharmaceuticals. I think we both probably agree that there's a time and a place for pharmaceuticals, but Absolutely. I think what we should all know and be able to acknowledge is that pharmaceuticals are way overused, especially in the United States. Um, and we have to talk about the negative impacts, the side effects, how they're impacting our health. And so I think that's what we're really trying to do here is just help kind of raise awareness of this so that we can make more informed decisions. Absolutely. Like anything, you know, like anything in life, you have to be able to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I have personally used pharmaceuticals that made my quality of life a lot better. And, and that's something to honor. And that's, you know, I see that every day at work. I see people who are able to function and lead functional quality, you know, happy lives because of certain medications. And then there's the flip side where there are the people who don't want to be taking this, but they haven't been given any other options. And so we don't have to pick. It's not about picking sides. Sometimes it can be so, I don't know, it can, for whatever reason, it's triggering when, when we talk about holistic health or alternative health, it can, I think people feel like we're putting it up on this pedestal and saying it's better. And that's not the case because you can honor both, but recognize that, Hey, we this actually does have power and it's not, you know, allopathic way, our mainstream medical system, the way that we practice medicine, isn't the only way that's not necessarily what leads to health for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of the problem, right? Is that right now in our society and our culture, anything labeled alternative or natural is almost vilified Mm -hmm. and shut down and people that use those methods or want to use those methods or even want to learn about those methods are, are demonized and, mm-hmm. um, even censored, you know, we can't, it's sometimes hard to get the information because there is censorship going on, um, about these, this kind of this other paradigm. And so I think what is important is just kind of opening the door and welcoming both sides. Like there is a yeah. time and place and space for both of us, for both paradigms, for a mixture of paradigms if needed. And I think that's really what I want to talk about. Like, I'm really tired of this quote unquote alternative natural approach being vilified because yeah. it has so much merit. And that that's really my frustration. There is room for all of it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Like you said, yep. let's be honest about it. Let's have truthful conversations about the, the positives, the negatives and everything in between. Yeah. Okay. Amen. <laughs> Let's, um, 
can we go back a little bit to talking about baby led weaning? And I'm just curious if you have any, like just off the top of your head, if you can think of any big or common like misconceptions or myths surrounding introducing solids to an infant and like how you would respond to those myths, like top, top couple or or however many you want to do. Okay. Um, so the first myth is going to be that bigger pieces are dangerous. This is something that I have learned, um, fairly recently, just like the, un, like the why behind it. And I think it's so powerful. So bigger pieces are better when we are starting with younger babies. I know it's terrifying as parents. Cause we're like, oh, they're going to bite off a chunk and choke on it. So we need to like chop their pe- their food. I mean, I did this with my first, I literally shredded his food to just like microscopic pieces. Yeah. But the, the, and you'll, you'll appreciate this as an OT. When we have a bigger piece of food in our mouth. It is giving us a better better sensory input, a better understanding of where that food is in the mouth that allows our little one to be able to maneuver it and learn to eat. Right. And also the bigger, the piece is going to trigger their gag reflex, which in younger infants is further forward in the tongue, um, better than a tiny piece of food that, you know, can get in there and uh, where is it in my mouth? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're trying to like get it out. So that's the first myth. I know it is for me, it's understanding that why that, allows me to be like, here you go, have a chunk of pancake (laughs) and watch Mm -hmm. him, you know, and trust him and trust his body. The second myth I would say is, um, the kind of the baby led weaning mantra. And I always get a lot of heat for this. The baby led weaning mantra is just feed your baby what you eat. And I'm like, no, that is a myth because understanding that I, I alluded to this, their digestive systems are, are still developing when our infants are born, they have quote unquote leaky gut, right? It allows bigger proteins and antibodies to pass from breast milk through their gut and be better absorbed. So kind of the when the gut seals is not as clear. Some people claim like, oh, it's at six months. Some people claim it's earlier. The problem is we can't really study this that well. Um, So despite, you know, regardless of when it is, I think it's important to take a more proactive or protective approach to and be mindful about the foods that we are feeding to make sure that they are easily digestible, make sure they're not, um, certain foods can be more irritating to the digestive system, uh, particularly foods that have compounds called anti-nutrients that literally block digestion and can uh, um, be irritating to the GI tract, for example. So just being mindful about introducing those foods and the other things I talked about, you know, they have specific nutrient needs. So essentially, yeah, just being more mindful. I think that having this idea of like, we can just cut up what we're, whatever we're eating and giving it to our little one is, you know, not necessarily honoring the fact that the holistic approach, if you will. So those are the two myths. I'm trying to think of any other myths off the top of my head. Those are the two big ones. What about, okay. So I've heard a few things about like grains. So I've heard obviously from like the typical baby led weaning matcha feed, what you're eating, like it's totally fine to introduce like breads and grains and things like that. But then like, I'd also heard that you should wait a little bit and just intuitively Mm -hmm. with my second child, I just didn't want to give him grains Mm -hmm. and, and bread and all of that. Um, 
And I just start like we eat sourdough. Um, I just start, he's almost two. I just started giving him bread pretty recently. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I'm curious. Yeah. What your thoughts and then are. I thought of another myth. Okay. Ah, the grains thing, man, it is, it's a big topic. I focus on this a little bit in the course. Um, so the leaky gut I talked about, I think when we just look, okay, let's just step back and what are grains? They're a plant food, right? So a lot of grains have these anti-nutrients. What does that mean? Well, think about how we used to prepare grains. We'd soak them, we'd sprout them. The reason we're doing that is they have these anti-nutrients that protect the seed, right? A grain for the most part, um, seeds, beans, legumes, they are the seed of the plant. So plants want to stay alive. So they, they have these anti-nutrients that make it so that if we eat them, we don't digest them. They leave our body and the plant seed survives, right? Nature is so brilliant. So understanding that just that fact, then being mindful about, well, if one, our little one isn't digesting these and they can be irritating to the digestive system. So for that reason, I am a fan of at least delaying them or being mindful about making sure that we're preparing them well. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that they're not super nutrient dense, especially certain if they're like specifically marketed as a baby food, like a baby cereal or, you know, a lot of these like baby teething cracker things, a lot of them are one filled with things that we've already talked about, but two also fortified with iron is a big one. And that's a whole nother, yeah. <laughs> a whole nother topic, but Very controversial topic. Yeah. Um, but so not super nutrient dense, right? Our little one, I mean, they're, they, during the first six months of life, breast milk should be the primary source of nutrition, but nutrient density, um, the fact that they have those anti-nutrients and I'm trying to think what else, the big ones on grains, those are kind of the big ones that I think about, oh, um, pesticides, glyphosate, mm. uh, oats, for example. I mean, not all oats. There's a few brands that are pretty great. The I think the One Degree brand is awesome. They're yeah. glypho glyphosate, glyphosate, whatever, free and sprouted. So yeah, I like those. like those. That's what we use. But if you think about like, so glyphosate, we use it as a pesticide, but we also spray oats or we spray grains with it to help dry them at harvest to make it so that they don't mold and go bad. So I think about these oats, if they have been sprayed with glyphosate and we know, I mean, another super controversial, probably not on this podcast, but glyphosate, we have research showing that it affects the, the gut, the tight junctions in the gut, making leaky, potentially leading to leaky gut. Um, obviously it's, it's, it's an antibiotic. So consuming that regularly is not great for our gut flora, but then it, uh, affecting the integrity of our gut barrier. So that's a big one. I'm like, I just, the thought of a child eating oats as a very first food that, you know, are not organic, for example, I just, I'm like, no, 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 no. There's so many other more gentle foods for the body. So, and it's kind of controversial as far as and not controversial, but there's not like a right or a wrong time to introduce grains. I think it's being mindful about like, knowing your child's sensitivities and when you think they might be um, able to tolerate them, but also like, I'm really big on following your intuition. So kind of what mm -hmm. you're feeling that, that I just feel like they're not quite, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I'm like, follow that because yeah. I think that that is 
our intuition is powerful. Like you said, we've kind of lost touch with being able to listen to that and trust our bodies, but I think that it's so important. Yeah. I think for me too, it's also like kind of looking at watching my child to see how much is he even eating? Like he's really not eating a lot. Do Mm -hmm. I want him to fill up on grains or do I want to just provide him with some, a smaller portion of more nutrient dense foods that I know he's not going to eat all of that anyways. Like for me, I think that's why my intuition was leading me away from giving him grains. Like I just didn't feel like it was necessary for his health. Like he didn't, I don't need to fill his belly up. Like he drinks breast milk all the time. Like, yeah, I just want to give him nutrient dense solids. Yeah. My son will eat a piece of sourdough with butter and be like, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we actually like their stomachs are not that big, so it can, I mean, right. We can see, we can be like half a piece of bread, but they could actually be full. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So can we just leave people with, since you've kind of talked about like some of the things that maybe aren't ideal to eat and then, you know, that there are more gentle first foods, what are your like favorite top first foods for babies? Like most nutrient dense. So I have an Instagram post all on this. So just off the top of my head, liver, bone broth or meat stock, um, avocado, banana, sweet potato. Those are some of my favorite uh, first ones. I'm trying to think I'm probably missing one. Egg yolk? I think those are the big ones. Egg, egg, yolk. egg yolk. Thank you. <laughs> egg yolk. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So those I are, I haven't be... even taken your course. And I knew oh the my gosh. <laughs> you pass. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are kind of the, the big top ones, bone broth, liver, egg yolk, sweet potato, avocado. Ooh, I love raw sauerkraut juice, but that one can kind of cause a little rash. So I always say put like a little balm on tala balm or something. Yeah. Um, but that one's great for the probiotics too. Yeah. So those are some great ones. It's just real food. It's yeah. just real food. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Alyssa, where can listeners find you if they want to learn more, if they want to check out your course? Yeah. The best way is Instagram. That's primarily where I show up. My Facebook, uh, is like crickets because I'm yeah. not really on Facebook, um, Instagram at thriving foundations, and you can send me a message. I try to get, I try to get to them, but, um, the best way to is to email me. If you have a question, it's Alyssa at thriving Otherwise, if you just follow the link in my Instagram bio, um, I have the course linked there. I have a freebie, a little, uh, free holistic baby led weaning kind of started, uh, getting started guide. And yeah, my course right now is I'm updating it completely. So it is, the doors are closed, but I do have a waiting list, but depending on when this airs, um, it might possibly be open. So awesome. Okay. And I will link, I will put those links in the show notes too, so that everyone can access them easily. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I learned a lot. I'm sure everybody listening learned a lot too. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Thanks for having me. Many of y'all know that I'm really passionate about non-toxic products and I'm super mindful of the products that we bring into our home. I actually am not a big makeup wearer and part of that is because I've had a really hard time finding non-toxic makeup products that actually work and that I actually like until I found Araza Beauty. 
Araza Beauty is an amazing organic natural paleo makeup makeup company. A lot of their um, products are made from real food ingredients, and you can pronounce most of the ingredients. I love their all-in-one coconut cream foundation. It offers a lot of coverage, actually more coverage than I'm typically used to um, because I don't really like the way makeup feels on my face, but it's so comfortable. I don't feel it on my face, and it looks amazing. I also love their mango cream color pot for just a little bit of color on my cheeks. Everything is so creamy and makes your skin look so dewy and healthy. You can save 15% off your first order when you use the code TAYLOR. So go to arazabeauty.com. That's A-R-A-Z-A beauty.com and use the code TAYLOR to save 15% on your first order. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.